if you're trying to 4x the size of your organization in 18 months, that's what you need. Um, yeah. It's very likely that you need something in that neighborhood to deliver yeah. on it. And boy, you you don't want to be you know driving the car down the road while you're still putting the wheels on. You know, so you know what as you're raising that fee. Um, in this case, I would advise that you're you're hiring that VP of HR very quickly, mm. and then they're building out their team very quickly, so that when the round closes, you're able to go execute on it. Otherwise, yeah. you can very easily burn six months building the HR team to go deliver on the headcount growth that you anticipate, and you you just miss your targets, or you do it in a really awkward, chaotic, you know, slap hazard way. Hi folks, Laura Bibby here, Head of Growth at Seed. Um, following a short break in our Scaling So Far podcast, we are officially back to continue with our candid conversations with some of the brightest minds in the startup and scale-up space. This is my first time hosting the podcast, so I'm feeling all sorts of excitement, nerves, and anticipation of what I might say that I need to edit out later. Um, but hey, there's no better way to tackle fear than to just get over it, right? And um, I'm quite frankly pretty honoured to have such an awesome guest here today to, to mark the occasion with me. So someone that I'm delighted to introduce all the way from across the pond is Andrew Bartlow. Andrew has over 25 years of HR and talent management experience and is co-author of Scaling for Success, People Priorities for High Growth Organisations and leads Series B Consulting. Andrew, massive welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Laura, my my pleasure. I'm I'm doing better uh, with my tall cup of coffee in front of me. It's uh, before 8 a.m. in the San Francisco Bay Area. So grateful. I, I'd have coffees lined up. It's <laughs> 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 the only problem is to try and keep them warm, right? So, But thank you for joining us so early in your day. Really do appreciate it. Um, for our listeners, Andrew, can you just share a little bit more about yourself, please, and you know what your story is? Sure, sure. Well, first, really pleased to be here. Thank you for hosting me, and honored to be your first guest as a uh, as a host. Um, yeah, I, I guess you you covered some of the highlights. Lots of time in this space of human resources and talent management, and recruitment, and uh, I've I've been in. HR leadership roles at companies large and small, uh, from Fortune 50 to less than 50 uh, employees, and really everywhere in between. Uh, that's what a long career gets you, I guess. Um, places that you know people have heard of, like General Electric and Pepsi, and you know places that you know startups that have crashed and burned, and some startups that are you know flying flying pretty high uh, as well. My my uh, greatest success, you know, really the, the launching pad for this consulting business that, that I do today in the advising and writing work is a company that's now known as Invitation Homes, which was a, is, is a uh, tech-enabled real estate organization, single-family homes, really disruptive, and is now publicly traded worth almost $20 billion. So I was the uh, head of HR as they went public twice. That's a longer story. And uh, yeah, I, I do work with high growth companies, generally from institutional funding series A, all the way up through a public offering. And I, I'm actually an operating partner for a private equity firm. So I, I deal with uh, uh, mid-market firms as well that are rapidly growing. So that's, that's the key component is rapid growth and yeah. things are different in that environment. And so yeah. we decided to write a book about it. Why not? I mean, such a massive breadth of experience, but yeah, as you say, really honing in on that rapid growth phase. So uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Makes sense to uh, to write a book about it and obviously start um, Series B Consulting, your, your your company as well. So that high growth world is is something that you are super, super familiar with. Um, how's the book launch going so far? It came out just earlier this year, right? Yeah, a physical copy is on, on camera behind me, over my shoulder. It it just feels so good to have that tangible evidence of the effort of what was almost three years from the first outline and pitch to Columbia University Press, um, which, which published it for us, to actually receiving the physical printed copy. And 
Uh, and boy, here in mid 2021, a lot has happened over the mm. past three years too, between the pandemic and you know social justice, um, you know becoming much more of a focal point in the world. Um, a lot, a lot has happened. SPACs uh, were less yeah. popular a few years ago. So uh, yeah, the book launch is going great. It's uh, it's sold out. I can't get myself a copy. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I've I've ordered a couple boxes for uh, you know friends and contributors, and uh, you know after my first shipment, they they won't send me anymore. So hopefully, if uh, listeners order, uh, they'll they'll get a copy here and there. But I, I'm still looking for my next box. <laughs> I'll send you a copy. <laughs> <laughs> please, I've please. <laughs> Cool. And do you, would you say you have a favorite anecdote from the book um, that you'd be happy to share with us today? You know, I, w- I was really um, honored that a number of people in the high growth community were willing to contribute their thoughts and, and their quotes. And, and chapter forwards were uh, provided by talent partners from venture capital firms, from recruitment experts, from, you know, other people that are way more uh, experienced and far smarter than I'll ever be. Uh, one of those people um, is Peter Clark, who's a talent partner from Excel, which is a yeah. major VC firm based here in the Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how many really smart founders with fantastic products and ideas just get stuck. They have no idea where to start around building their company. So what what he talks about is having a plan is crucial and compares it to a product roadmap. So figure out your plan, break it down into manageable tasks and ideas. That plan will change over time, just like you're building a business, just like you're building a product roadmap, just Mm. like you're building people strategies. You just have to have that basic plan and roadmap to get started. Yeah. So I appreciated that from Peter. And it's that people as a product approach or like your people function as a product approach, right? Because as you say, you have a product roadmap, you have a go-to-market plan. Have the same for your people. Like that's just as important. So yeah, definitely, definitely appreciate that point. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's not a one-size-fits-all approach either. Um, yeah. that, that's one of the things, and maybe we'll talk about this in, in our conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just wrote an article for uh, Columbia's blog um, about best practices, how best practices are not necessarily best for all companies. So yeah. just because Google did it doesn't mean that it'll be great for your 30-person startup. Yeah. And, and so, you know, part of what Peter talks about is that you have to have your own plan, not the plan that everybody else uh, did, uh, which may or may not work for you. What I always find fascinating with um, like early stage companies as well is the fact that nobody has done more often than not, nobody has done what you're doing in the way that you're doing it. So you can't expect to take best practices and for them to be best practices exactly as they were for X company for your company. So like a massive responsibility of a founder is to digest advice and digest best practices and then work out how to apply it to their business and their situation, because it's so unique. Well said, well said. (laughs) Mic drop, (laughs) point one. Um, So you've directly advised and mentored dozens of founders and C-level execs when it comes to, to scaling their org from a people perspective especially at, as you said before, that that stage of rapid growth, whether that's startup or a little bit later in hyper growth. From your experience, what are the most common pain points that you tend to come across? Um, I'll, I'll boil it down to two. There, there are, are a number of areas where um, thematically you, you see some patterns of people stumbling, but uh, let's talk about two. So the, the first is what we just introduced lifting and shifting some other places best practices mm-hmm. you'll you'll hear anecdotal evidence of you know such and such company did this or i heard from my friend who's also a founder backed by the same vc that they did that and um and, and that anecdotal evidence seems to be overweighted for mm-hmm. for a lot of folks keeping up with the joneses lifting and shifting there's a lot of that that happens so yeah. that that's first um second 
um, I, I see a really common pain point around holding on to the past for too long, resisting mm-hmm. change, uh, specifically with founders who started the company that are leading it through rapid evolution. And mm-hmm. rapid evolution is growth and change. Um, I hear all the time, help us keep our culture. Our culture is changing. P- some people are unhappy. Uh, help us go back to the way things were. Um, and, and would be happy to talk more about that. But boy, that, that is the essence of evolution is change. And so holding on to the past is, is you know, thematically a real uh, difficult thing for founders to get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a dangerous road, especially with culture, which is like, culture is a living organism right it's it's living it's breathing and yeah so it should constantly change um because it evolves with your people so if that stays stagnant (laughs) your people and your company will stay stagnant as well so awesome and where where do you see most high growth companies really falling down when it comes to to building their teams specifically um yeah let's start um back with the plan so to i'll I'll reference peter i I just love the the quote around have a plan um and so i I use that a lot have a plan so they Mm -hmm. uh many high growth companies tend to fall down around um embracing the chaos too much um things are so fast that we don't have time to pause and make a plan Mm -hmm. well that leads to lots of starts and stops and bad fit hires and um, people being hired for roles that are poorly defined and uh, folks get pretty upset when you're messing with their job. And so, so have a plan. Uh, that, that is one of, the, one of the key issues and you know, the, the chaos is, mm. uh, is a real challenge. Another piece around building teams, um, as strange as it sounds, um, if, if you step back a bit, in these high growth companies that are trying to hire so rapidly, their selection processes tend to be overly complex and take way too long. Lots of steps, lots of hurdles for candidates to go through. You know, people forget that we're competing for candidates. You know, this is a um, employee friendly labor market and it's, it's unbelievable how long it takes good qualified candidates to hear whether an organization wants to wants to work with them or not Mm. um yeah and then uh let's let's say a third um which might be on the other side of the coin once you do hire people um i've seen organizations tend to over accommodate early hires so um both with any any hires you know saying yes to everything any mm. great idea or ask that that people have, they they say yes, and there's danger involved in that. It's it's yeah. not always a, um, a a situation that you have to say yes to or that makes sense. Um, but also those folks that helped you find success, the folks that were the tenth, fifteenth hire at your organization that led mm. marketing or, or were you know important to getting your product off the ground, are they really? Is that person really the right person to lead the function when you're at 150 people? Mm. So that, that that's a personal and difficult conversation to deal with. You know, over accommodating early hires is is thematically a, a a challenge when building a team. Yeah, I think that final point is a really interesting one as well because sometimes it could also be that that employee doesn't feel that they're okay for the stage of growth that you're like they want to be part of that very early journey they feel like they have to come along with you and actually if you just have an adult conversation and say how are you feeling is this right for you is this what you wanted like it could be that that employee actually says well no I actually I I really wanted to be a part of that build stage now I feel like we're past that maybe this isn't the right place for me. So yeah, I suppose that adult conversation really is key and just keeping things transparent and, and human at that point. Well, and there, there's a strong tie back to the culture uh, evolution of an organization. Things are pretty different at 150 people than they were at 15, mm-hmm. right? You have layers, you have 
people working in all sorts of different places in different time zones. You have more distance between the decision maker and the people that are actually doing the work and you don't have the same depth of personal relationship and trust. And, yeah. and you, you have to have, it's, it's a dirty word for so many startups and high growth companies, you have to have some process. Yeah. You have to have some structure for, for things to operate at all. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the culture changes a bit when you have structure and process versus a, a band of, of friends. Yeah. Yeah. And that point about pro- processes as well, you know, <laughs> I think everybody, too many processes, this is too processy, but actually you've got to have those guardrails because otherwise people will either fall <laughs> or run and <laughs> just not be on that on that the right path so uh yeah that makes a lot of sense and and with that um and I know we've said obviously giving advice the founders do need to apply advice to their unique situation but what would your number one bit of advice be for for scale-up leaders Especially oh boy num- <laughs> number one piece of advice um one part well, hey, let's yeah let well let's stick with the theme um, have a plan, period. Like map out a simple plan um, for what hires you want to make over the foreseeable time horizon, mm-hmm. uh, what sequence you'll make those hires in, and roughly what they'll do. Yeah. Number one hire as you're building out your team, uh, number one piece of advice as you're building out a team is have a plan. Um, in the human resources world, we call that a workforce plan. So maybe it's a, a Google Sheets document that has all the roles listed, uh, you know, in in your rows, and you know what is what is the title, but more importantly, some description of what this person will do. Yeah. Um, and and generally, you you want to hire managers and team leaders before the team otherwise you find these team leaders rebuilding and reworking their entire team once they come on board so if that's an option try to bring in the team lead and grow the team underneath them Um, but but back to it number one piece of advice for high growth organizations is have your growth plan Mm. and tying in with this this is a question that yeah is slightly separate but ties in what what if things don't go to plan? Like, what do you do? Do you force them back into that plan? Do you revisit that plan? Like, how how can founders and, and leaders adapt when the, that need comes? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. And it, and I think it is important to put a finer point on this. So when, when I say a plan, we're not talking about a 50-page technical manual that, uh, you know, is, is hard bound. Uh, we're, we're talking about a, a general outline that can and should be updated as things change, you know, in, in a in a pretty uh, rapid sense. So as you're raising a new um, round of funding, as you get a new investor, as you learn more about pro- product market fit, and what you need to do to be successful, as you uncover opportunities in the marketplace, that plan absolutely should change, and it should change in a pretty fluid way, yeah. but if you don't have a framework to work from, it's just total chaos. Mm. So I, I recommend it's, the, it's the, one of the simplest, lightest plans you'll ever put together. If you can't put it on one page, there's probably too much to it. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is I tend to see um, this snapback effect in organizations that are super chaotic um, at, at first, and that works, because it's innovative and it's creative and you're just getting stuff off the ground and it's a small group of people. And then you grow, you grow, you grow such that not everybody knows what everybody's working on at any given time. Mm -hmm. And things start to fall through the cracks and the investors start to get a little pushy. And then all of a sudden, whack, you move over into way too much process, way too much struggle. Let's do OKRs. Let's have every single person say every single thing that they're doing at a morning stand-up mm-hmm. that's overkill like let's let's search for a light plan a little bit of structure tweak it as we go but I, I tend to see like the all or nothing approach and, and the right answer is as usual somewhere in the middle yeah and with this is another question that ties into this like when you're putting into 
into play some of those newer processes um would you recommend continuous feedback from the team that you're that you're implementing them with like is that valuable is there so such thing as too much feedback you don't want to give too much control or actually yeah what have you seen work yeah I think having an ongoing two-way dialogue um, between the decision makers at an organization and the broad worker base is really important. Uh, the single most uh, valuable management tool is a one-on-one and ensuring that one-on-ones are happening regularly. Um, as a leader, you'll, you'll want to have your team meetings, you'll want to have your one-on-ones, you'll want to have skip levels. So um, everybody seems to be paying for employee engagement surveys and doing that on a annual or quarterly basis like that's fine that's great that's useful but it can't replace regular two-way communication human communication in units that make sense which is a manager and the and the person that they're that they're leading Mm. that said um i i think there's more risk than reward in crowdsourcing your management processes if you're the leader you need to lead, you need to make decisions. Not all of those decisions will be popular. It's not a popularity contest running a high growth organization. Um, So if everybody wants something that doesn't necessarily make it right. So that's where you as the leader need to apply your critical thinking and your best business judgment and take into account opinions and perspectives. Don't ignore it, discard it, or avoid asking but also don't let those opinions and perspectives control the outcome. Yeah, super, super interesting. Um, I'd love to know if there is more of a mindset piece that you find yourself regularly advising on. I know in your book, you speak about a couple of those real archetypes of founders and leaders. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, it's it was a little bit of a tongue in cheek uh, archetype uh, description. Um, that that I've I've found to be um, common in in startups and and those the, the two archetypes that I talk about in the book scaling for success are that of the profit and the mule driver mm-hmm. and uh, um, the the profit imagine the wise leader who stands on the mountaintop with the stone tablets and the beard flowing, who has people gathered around them listening to um, their wisdom. Yeah. Uh, that's the prophet. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about like the, the aspects of that. I, I, I'll, I'll come back to it. The other is the mule driver, which is you know someone sitting on a wagon, cracking a whip at the mules that are pulling the wagon down the road. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'll unpack those briefly. The, the profit in a startup or high growth environment is somebody that is a great visionary that mm-hmm. can attract talent, that uh, can, can get funding, can get support for their ideas, mm-hmm. but rarely comes off that mountaintop to actually do the work and often has trouble getting into the details and executing. So um, in, in a startup environment, and I've seen a number of very successful profits, um, it, very successful at building a team and raising funding, um, yeah. but unfortunately, I've seen the, the vaporware that they you know, failed to create and, and companies crumble around that lack of execution. Mm-hmm. So there are some real benefits to having some profit aspects. You want to be yeah. a visionary, you want to attract talent and attract capital but you need to balance that with some level of executional discipline, making mm. tough decisions. And, and uh, you can't just delegate that to a COO or somebody else. You as the leader need to have a, a role in it. Yeah. Yeah, cool. so that's the profit. The mule driver, on the other hand, is the controlling founder, is the, the founder that wants to be involved in every single detail, builds a team of workers that, are intended to get that mule driver to the goal that only they know. They will make every decision along the way. They will decide how fast they go and when the mules get fed. Um, they might offer carrots and you know pet pet the mules and be very kind 
to the, the workers. Uh, mm. It doesn't mean they're a terrible person, uh, but it does mean that decisions often get bottlenecked with a mule driver uh, founder who's overly controlling. Often the, the workers uh, feel disempowered mm. um, and, and you, can, you can have higher turnover in those environments. You have great execution on whatever the, that mule driver founder can keep in their head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very difficult for mule driver founders to scale beyond a certain stage because they are typically unwilling to delegate and empower other leaders. Yeah. So, so yeah. those are two examples. Um, I'm I'm sure that each of us have aspects of both in I us. Okay. We'll have yeah. people thinking that sounds like me. No, actually, that sounds a bit <laughs> like me, and I have those tendencies. <laughs> so yeah, I've I've, <laughs> I've been challenged in the past to create some sort of a quiz, like which which are you? Here are the ten questions, and, and maybe it's a continuum of you know somewhere between. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I'm I'm not trying to. Um, you know, cast shade on all founders. And, you know, of course, not, not everyone falls into those extremes. Mm-hmm. The, the point I think that is worth making is that it, it's valuable to be aware of those extremes and try to tend towards the positive aspects and tend uh, avoid overdoing um, the, those aspects of someone's natural tendencies. Yeah. Or even having that sort of devil and angel thought of, okay, how, like, which, which way am I going this, this time? Like, should I actually go more the other way? Should I, should I be more profit? Should I be more mule? And having that awareness, as you say, of those two extremes allows you to say, I'm being a bit too this. (laughs) Let me bring myself back to the middle. Let me reset and I think my next question was, is there a, is there a middle ground between the two or, I don't know if there's a true middle ground, but you know, as, as you just uh, described it, there's awareness. There's, mm. there's a bit of critical thinking rather than just defaulting back to your natural style, natural tendencies that feel most comfortable. Wh- whatever your natural tendencies are as a founder can take you very far, can yeah. uh, lead to lots of success, um, but often what got you here won't take you there and as your company grows and scales um, that that puts stress on some of those natural tendencies and I suppose as well when you look at the stages of growth that companies can be at that profit founder is super valuable at like stealth seed series a when you need to get buy-in like you're 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 looking for funding you need people to believe in your product you need people to believe in your company and join your team that's super valuable. But then when you get to the more process-driven stages, maybe, yeah, series A, series B, and later, you need to be more mule <laughs> in some aspects. So, yeah, I suppose the different the different um, personas lend themselves to different stages. Cool. Yeah. That's super, super interesting. I love that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about ideal HR people functions for a high growth company. Um, what does that look like for you? Let's say at the Series B plus sort of hyper growth stage. Um, it it depends. It depends on a lot more than what round you've raised. And um, but but let's let let's go with the example, and maybe we'll include a few more assumptions. So let let's say you've just raised your Series B. Uh, this company is at 100-ish employees at the moment. And with that B, they are on their way to about 500 before they plan to close on a C uh, within about 18 months. So um, actually, let's let's unpack a, a couple of those factors along the way. So hypergrowth, um, in, in our definition in the book, is 50% or greater headcount growth in a 12-month period. Yeah. Uh, what we just described is 4x headcount growth in an 18-month period. Mm-hmm. Each organization is dealing with that. You know, you'll you'll have your so pace of growth matters. Yeah. Uh, base where you're at today and and how much you're growing matters. Um, whether you have a, a profit or a mule driver at the at the helm matters. Mm-hmm. Um, leadership 
um, if you're making hiring decisions, how strong is your management and leadership to be able to accommodate that growth? That'll that'll impact how you staff your HR function as well. Mm-hmm. Um, burn rate uh, matter. So all of these factors matter. I, I won't belabor it anymore, but it's not it's not as cookie cutter as at Series B at 100 people. Here's what your org chart looks like, and, yeah. and that that goes back to the best practicing. which is lifting and shifting and trying to apply something without really understanding the elements that matter most. So put that, uh, all right, off the soapbox, put that all aside. Generally at about a hundred ish on the way to um, 500 Mm -hmm. after a B round, you should have a professional experienced leader of human resources. You can call that person a head of, you can call that person a VP most often I see that being a VP reporting into the CEO. Yeah. Um, that HR leader has a short list of key direct reports. You are starting to break out the human resources function into a few important elements, uh, namely a head of talent acquisition. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a tendency in some cases to have HR and recruitment sit as peers. Yeah. If you're growing, if you're scaling, that doesn't work in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll want to have a leader on top and a specialist who has led teams in recruitment and talent acquisition in the past. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a director level, senior director level. Um, and if you're trying to grow as fast as what we just described, you know, chances are you'll want to have about a half dozen internal recruiters. Uh, work for that person. Um, Second channel under the head of human resources is a uh, leader for your people ops function. So that's your systems, your tools, your internal processes, um, surveys, compensation, uh, job descriptions, compliance, you, you name it. Maybe payrolls in, maybe it's out. Um, you know, generally you'll have a, a senior experienced person, director, senior director level with two, three, maybe four people on their team uh, mm-hmm. caring for that work. Oh, uh, um, at about 100 people, you will have hopefully transitioned off of, in the States, we call it a PEO, uh, mm-hmm. a professional employer organization that often runs a lot of your back office and consolidates benefits and provides the technology. If you're mm-hmm. on your way to 500 people, you should be off that PEO mm-hmm. and be running more of your own systems and tools. And so you need people again to care for and configure those yeah. systems and tools. Um, third and, and last major function under that HR leader would be um, one, maybe two seasoned HR, air quote, business partners. Um, those business partners um, I, I, that's another topic of discussion as to what a business partner really does. Yeah. Um, in a high growth context, you'll probably call them a business partner, but what those business partners will do is handle more of the manager human resources interaction, yeah. um, advise mid-level managers, help them with performance management and employee relations issues, mm-hmm. uh, coordinate across the operations and recruitment groups. So you you could use one or two of those people. And so, you know, that adds up to a team of 10, almost 12 people, including recruitment at a company with about 100 people. Um, That's that's a high ratio for sure. But if you're trying to 4X the size of your organization in 18 months, that's what you need. Um, yeah. It's very likely that you need something in that neighborhood to deliver yeah. on it. And boy, you, you don't want to be, you know, driving the car down the road while you're still putting the wheels on, you know. So, you know, what, as you're raising that B, um, in this case, I would advise that you're, you're hiring that VP of HR very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then they're building out their team very quickly so that when the round closes, you're able to go execute on it. Otherwise, you can very easily burn six months building the HR team to go deliver on the headcount growth that you anticipate, and you you just miss your targets, or you do it in a really 
awkward, chaotic, you know, slap hazard way. Yeah. And I think that that final point that you made is something that we've spoken with previous guests about, because sometimes it can be that, you know, you wait for that milestone round and then you start. But actually, that's all a bit too late. (laughs) You needed to have started this process much further prior um, because now you're behind and actually you will start to need to retrofit stuff, which is just inefficient and much more time consuming in the long run. So, yeah, I mean, we've had um, one of our guests describe it as exactly as you were. Sometimes it it can feel like you're driving a car whilst trying to change the wheels at the same time, (laughs) which is quite frankly dangerous. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, I I, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, cash burn is a real thing. And you're not sure when your round is going to close and making, you know, significant investments in headcount and payroll cost is a big deal. Mm. Um, and so there are ways to jumpstart building the, the function, like bringing in uh, contractors, consultants and advisors before you're committing to long term headcount. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that that's okay, and you know that that's some of the work that I've done in the past. I'm not doing it uh, today, where mm. you can find an interim HR leader that sometimes you can get to come in house, but yeah. at the very least would help would help you get it set up before yes. you have to commit to the full time permanent air yeah. quote permanent headcount. Definitely, and someone who's experienced and is able to say like you're not hiring somebody who needs to ramp up, like you're hiring somebody to come in and advise in that moment um, and, and just, yeah, consult. So no, that makes total sense. Um, kind of tying in with that question as well, how can people balance the need to iterate processes, launch initiatives, roll out new progression frameworks, whatever that is, how can they balance that, um, you know, whilst also hiring? There's a lot to do, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that it goes back to the building the car while you're trying to make progress towards your towards your destination. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's a mindset around it, and and again, that basic critical thinking and good business judgment. You know, awareness that change and evolution needs to happen for your company to thrive and and even survive. So. Mm-hmm. Um, recognizing that the that the processes or lack thereof that helped you find success at 15 people will need to be different at 150 mm. um, and, and different yet again at 1500 or pick your numbers but it's uh, you know, there, there are definitely some some predictable stages where you know things change and break down and it's often related to management layers and mm-hmm. gaps in communication and trying to align larger and larger groups of people. So how, how do you balance the need? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to go back to your question. How do you balance the need around evolving these processes and actually doing the work? Yeah. Um, I, I think awareness is the most important factor that um, you know, just like the archetypes of the founders, if you just default back into what feels right, that's not always healthy. So Mm -hmm. uh, apply three heartbeats to thinking about, does this really make sense? Mm -hmm. Uh, You you don't need to pause and have an all hands meeting and a six day offsite to think about like, does this selection process for um, our engineering team make sense today? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and apply that critical thinking, good business judgment, understand your own context, get advice from experts. Um, It's not what the company down the road is doing. It's what the diagnosis is for your particular patient, which is your organization. Um, Now, um, one one, uh, predictable trigger point is a funding round. So Mm -hmm. when you get a funding round, that typically results in that hyperspeed growth. So the investors are dumping money on you for you to hit your next stage of growth. So mm-hmm. that's, and that in the Valley, well, really in, in startup world is typically happening every 12 to 24 months. I, I've actually heard of some folks raising rounds in, in 
six months, in mm-hmm. eight, yeah. nine months. It's, it's unbelievable the, the way that the, the capital is flowing right now. Uh, but those are good trigger points to evaluate whether the management and people processes that you have are the right processes for the next plateau. Yeah. Um, so when, as you're raising around, spend a little bit of time thinking about what should change. Yeah. Yeah. And and as we said before, you don't necessarily have to wait until that round happens, but actually if you you know you're gonna know that it's happening. <laughs> so yeah. uh start start thinking about it nice and early on. Yeah, cool. and you can decide when to pull the when to pull the lever to make the yeah. change. Yeah. yeah, but you've got your plan in place and you have that awareness. So I'm getting it, this plan stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um Something that you touched on earlier is um, how important one-to-ones were, the greatest tool for people managers out there. Um, How, especially being remote, um, do you make them as effective as possible? How do you, you know, continue to build relationships that are authentic and, you know, have tough conversations? How can HR leaders, people leaders really handle, handle those conversations and, yeah, especially across distributed teams, which a lot of us are in right now. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's it, it's not paying for fancy online trivia contests or you know ma- mailing people uh, cactuses. We've done right? enough of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the, that's nice. It's it's okay, but it, does that meaningfully build you know, no. trusted relationships? No. no. So yeah, there's just. Re- yeah, there's just really no substitute for the yeah. basics. And the basic is human contact. Mm. And is it better to do that in person? Yes. Yeah. Is that possible given the pandemic and the nature of distributed teams? Not often or not frequently anyway. So go ahead and plan the outdoor offsites. Go ahead and do the online trivia nights. Those are fine. But I, I would point people back to the fundamental building blocks of management processes, which is a regular team meeting, mm. whole team or, or project group talking about what you're working on, and regular one-on-ones. Mm. Do it. If it's, if it's got to be over phone or video, that it's got to be over phone or video. And um, uh, friction builds familiarity. So the more contact you have with someone, the more yeah. you you get to know them, the more they get to know you. Um, you know, e- even if you operate very differently and have a different look on life, like you will get to know each other just based off of that friction of being around each other. Yeah. Uh, so make the time for regular one-on-ones and regular team meetings. Um, and again, it doesn't need to be accompanied by fancy software. Lot, lots of people subscribe to lattice or reflective or you you name it uh the various tools i just point people back to make sure your one-on-ones are happening yeah uh, and, and that that'll go a really long way towards keeping the human element in the workforce and for leaders that are man- managing larger teams do some skip levels periodically as well that's that's useful yeah. so you have a, a pulse on people deeper in the work yeah that's an awesome bit of advice um I'm very mindful of your time. Do you need to drop off now? I'm good. I'm good for another uh, 10 or 15. Perfect. All right. Are you all right if we go through a few of those last questions? Yeah, sure. Cool. Perfect. Um, So do you see any real differences when it comes to successful scale-up people practices globally, Um, especially, I suppose, between Europe and the US, um, where you've operated most, right? Yeah, yeah, my my experience is concentrated in the United States. However, I've I've done more than a bit of work um, with uh, uh, UK organizations, EMEA organizations. Got pretty deep into LATAM um, back with the Pringles acquisition coming out of Procter and Gamble. Uh, hugely global. Boy, there's nothing more global or more shelf stable than a can of Pringles. Oh my goodness! So that they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the, yes, there are massive cultural differences, depending where you're operating. There are massive compliance differences. Mm. Thank goodness for outside legal counsel and, you know, 
in-country uh, experts to help identify uh, a lot of that. Yeah. Um, but the the rapid growth issues are pretty similar. Mm. So the the people management frameworks and concepts again don't lift and shift your U.S. concepts and drop them on Japan or you know, mm. vice versa. Belgium is a very different place to do business in than you would ever expect unless you've actually done business there. Yeah. Um, but when you're scaling up and you're in the midst of hypergrowth, many of these basic principles still apply. Have a plan, expect it to evolve, um, have regular contact with your teams, uh, evaluate your processes to see whether they're sufficient or appropriate for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, the, the basics still hold. Yeah. And like, I think it goes without saying, but if you're launching or if a, a scale ups launching, um, you know, in a new market, invest in counsel or advice from that market, like get local experts, um, because you, you shouldn't go over there and make assumptions. Like, yeah, there, there are people who know it better. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Thank goodness for other experts and advisors. We don't need to do it all ourselves. Yeah. Brilliant. And a couple of lighthearted questions just to finish us, us up because, uh, yeah, we're getting to the to the end of our time. But is there a thought value or a phrase that you live by, Andrew? Um, there's there's one on my website I, I include at the at the bottom of every page and it's a Leonardo da Vinci quote and boy it sounds like so snobby um, <laughs> uh, but it, it ties back to a lot of what we talked about simplicity is the ultimate sophistication so it doesn't need to be complicated to be good or work in fact things work better when they're simple and elegant so I, I like to turn back to that and I uh, weave that into, you know, be brilliant at the basics and that'll take you, take you far. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one. And maybe the most used phrase that I use uh, um, with, with my advisory and consulting clients is there's no better teacher than a hot stove. <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> I don't know who came up with that but I use it all the time and boy when you know, you, you don't listen you don't listen you want to do you know whatever feels right whatever your natural instinct is whatever the loudest voices tell you to do and then when you get burned by whatever that is now you've learned uh, yeah and that just speaks to the 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 power and the value of experience and experienced advisors offering suggestions mm -hmm. but sometimes you know, your, your uh, clients or your founders or whoever you're advising, they get to make the decision. So they get to go in their own direction and maybe they get burned by the hot stove. Maybe they don't, but they'll learn if they do get burned. And I'm, I'm guessing more often than not, it's the profit that gets burned <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly some, some burning uh, that could, that could accompany the, the mule driver as well, where the, the yeah. team decides that they, they want to work with somebody else. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that last point. And just the fact that, yeah, making mistakes, you, you have your biggest learnings from mistakes being made. So um, yeah, if you can tap into somebody who has seen those mistakes being made and you don't have to make them, then definitely do. Um, awesome. Thank you, Andrew. And just as our final point, is there a people leader, a founder or a source of inspiration that, that you have, someone you admire that has a pretty unique or impactful approach to scaling, especially from a people perspective? Um, the, the human resources guru that I that I turn to is uh, Dave Ulrich uh, and, and his work with the RBL group. And, you know, he's known as the father of modern HR, has wrote a dozen plus books on the topic. He, he was incredibly kind and actually blurbed my book. Um, I can't, can't believe he ever responded to an email and a LinkedIn reach out from me. Um, yeah, so he, he really is the, um, I think the strongest and original voice around tying human resources and, and people management efforts to the business and mm. that's it continues to write and speak on on that topic and he was kind enough to shout out you know our book as being um as filling these are my words filling the donut hole 
around small high growth business practices. There's been a lot more written about giant organizations. Yeah. Um, so Dave, Dave Ulrich is, is my, uh, um, you know, HR guru of choice. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then there's the, there's the cadre of venture capital talent partners that see scores of organizations. Most of these big VCs invest in 200, 300, uh, high growth startup, uh, organizations and and the talent partners that support their founders and support their heads of HR, they mm-hmm. see so much. Uh, uh, Luke Bassetta, uh, Katie uh, Halimi at Sapphire, Darcy Casarella at NEA, Seda Howard at IVP, like the, the list goes on and on. Many of these folks were contributors to the book um, and, and they are just at the uh, hub of so much of this work and um, they're, they're amazing partners, they're amazing connectors. And so if you're you know, part of an institutionally backed high growth organization, make sure that you're leveraging the talent partners. Mm. Uh, they'll, they'll help you through just about any bump in the road you could imagine. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing those with us. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the insights that you've, uh, you've spoken through today with us, Andrew, have been amazing. Um, I really loved your point on friction builds familiarity. I think that's, yeah, that's a fantastic quote. It's one thing that I'll definitely take away myself. So um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, before we close out, I mean, where can people get your book when it's back in stock? Amazon. Oh, um, yeah, it's on, it's on Amazon. Um, there, there's a website for the book, uh, scalingforsuccessbook.com. Um, and if you want to, you know, reach out to me directly, LinkedIn is great. Uh, my, my primary website is seriesbconsulting.com. Then I run a, uh, executive education program for HR leaders that's based on the book and that's called people leader accelerator. Amazing. I'll pop those uh, URLs into the show notes as well so that people can access them at any time and they can just go onto Amazon and keep hitting refresh until your book's back in stock. <laughs> please, please do. Please do. Yeah, it sounds like a fantastic um, read and yeah, definitely one to keep at your side if, uh, if you're going through a scaling journey, planning, thinking about it. Um, yeah, sounds really awesome. And uh, we'll definitely link link through to, to the URLs that you mentioned. So, Andrew, it's been an absolute blast. Thank you so much, my first guest. And um, yeah, I just I really enjoyed our conversation. So, yeah, really appreciate your time today and, and for your openness and for sharing the insights that you have. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I really appreciate it. You're already a pro at this. <laughs>